Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, January 28th, we are studying Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Earthly praise is not the goal of the Christian life, and neither is the goal of the Christian life the accumulation of earthly treasure. Jesus has something far better in store for his disciples. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Reverend Dr. Ryan Tonetti. Pastor Tonetti serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Michigan. Pastor Tonetti, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's a pleasure, Tim. Thanks for having me. Pastor Tonetti, as we get started, give us some context here in the Sermon on the Mount that will help us dig into the text for today. Yeah, so like you say, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is this extended teaching of our Lord where it's really one way to think about it is what does life look like under his reign and rule, under his kingdom? You know, we say that in the um, Catechism, the second article of the Creed, Luther explains that um, all this that Jesus has done in redeeming us, shedding his blood, he did it, that we might be his own and live under him in his kingdom. And so as we dig into the Sermon on the Mount, He's really laying out for us what does life look like under his reign and rule, under his kingdom. How do we live as his people? To go back to the beginning of it with Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes, those blessings there, Jesus has pronounced his disciples and said, you are blessed. The, the kingdom is yours. Though you're poor in spirit, though you're you know, bankrupt spiritually, you belong to me and all the riches of the kingdom are yours. And now as we get into the section on possessions, I think we need to keep that in the back of our mind that it's really um, continuing to unpack, okay, if all the treasures of the kingdom are yours, how do you live in light of that reality, of, of that truth of who you are as uh, disciples of Christ, as beloved of God? It changes the way that we regard earthly possessions, and that's really what this passage is about. So one thought on, on that when it comes to the context, you brought up that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, and, and you said right. spiritually bankrupt uh, and taking it in a spiritual sense. Now, I know in Luke's gospel, when Jesus gives beatitudes, he just says, blessed are the poor, and we're going to talk about earthly possessions here. So what, I mean, I know we'll get into this as we read the text, but, but give us some, I mean, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, what's that relationship between the spiritually poor and I don't know if we're going to say that's what we'll say today, but, but earthly poverty. Yeah, sure. Yeah, material poverty. Well, they're definitely related. Um, you know, Pastor Apple, I always love picturing a good Venn diagram, right? You remember the Venn diagram you had in sure. middle school? And uh, there's the two circles, and then there's the overlapping part. And I think when we think about the, the poverty that is spoken of, as you mentioned, both in Luke's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel, there's um, that poverty that is strictly material poverty, that poverty that's strictly um, a spiritual poverty. And then there's a, a large area of overlap, I would say, where um, you can be spiritually bankrupt and still be materially wealthy, okay? Um, and on the flip side, you can be materially bankrupt and spiritually wealthy. And the Lord's really um, addressing both of these and how they overlap um, in our hearts and in our lives. So um, 
wherever we are financially, however much you happen to have in your, your bank account, you can be poor in spirit. And conversely, um, if you are um, materially not doing so well, um, still you can have these riches of God's kingdom. So um, some people point out, well, it seems like Luke, Luke has more of a, an earthly bent or that that gospel applies more to our temporal needs and Matthew it's more spiritualized. I don't buy that. And um, all the gospels and all the teachings of our Lord, he's deeply concerned about our life in this world. And that's not a life that is somehow abstracted from or separated apart from our workaday world. The spiritual realities of the reign and rule of God intersect with our day-to-day life. So that to be um, uh, materially poor um, is, in a sense, a, a reminder of our, our spiritual poverty. And to have that sense of being poor in spirit um, also uh, reinforces for us a sense that no matter how much I have in this world, um, still I am lacking the one thing needful, as Jesus will say in uh, chapter 19 to the rich young ruler, you know, come and follow me. Um, that's where our true riches are found, in that relationship with Christ. One, one more note on context that, that I was rolling around in my mind this morning as we were getting ready. Jesus, we've seen recently, has, has been through a series of, you have heard that it was said, I say to yeah. you. In chapter 6, he, he drops that exact formulation, but I think it's, it's still there because he says, when you do this, don't do it like the hypocrites. Instead, do it like this. Mm-hmm. Are we still seeing a, a bit of that contrast here in the text that we've got today? And if, if so, what's the... What's the other message that Jesus is pushing back against with with his disciples here? Yeah, well, I really like how you frame that. That's an interesting point, because it doesn't come out explicitly in these few verses that we're looking at today. But I think as you go on in the passage, too, in verses 25 through 34, there, um, Jesus mentions there, as he did earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, allusions to the Gentiles. This is how the Gentiles live, which in this context, it means something like this is how the unbelieving world lives, those outside of the, the community of faith. And so I think that we could... Um, particularly in in this section, draw up the contrast. It's not so much that earlier contrast of this is how you have have heard it said by um, perhaps, you know, in in Matthew 5, um, the rabbinic teaching of old and the different casuistry that had been employed to try and basically get God's people off the hook with the the strictures of the law. Here it's almost more um, looking outward to their contemporaries who are not part of uh, the people of God and saying, hey, look, you are going to live in a way that's different from the way that your neighbors do. And that's what makes these passages, especially on possessions, so vital, so relevant and applicable for our contemporary moment in America, where there is such a a focus on accumulation and on having possessions, acquisitiveness. And so we can really hear this as Jesus draws those contrasts as addressed to us, as indeed they are, because this living and active Word of God um, is, is pointing out for us how still we live in a time where our neighbors have priorities that differ widely from the priorities of the kingdom of God. Let's go ahead and take a look at the text then for today. We're starting here in Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus continues, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's the text for today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Pastor Tanetti, Jesus starts off saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What, what does Jesus have in mind with laying up treasures on earth? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's, it's pretty straightforward in terms of um, to lay up treasures for yourselves on earth is the sense of uh, accumulating, of gathering more and more possessions in this life. And, uh, you know, uses that image of, of laying up for yourselves treasures. And so there might be um, a kind of agrarian background to it when you think of in Luke chapter 12, for example, Jesus um, gives the, the parable of the rich fool. And he, he is um, wealthy. He's got so much. And so what's he doing? He's building more barns because much of his wealth is rooted literally in his in the ground in the land and so there may be this kind of uh, sense of that kind of uh, agricultural background where it's like laying up um, all of your harvest in the barns but I think uh, we can take that and uh, with a broader metaphorical um, extension and think of all of the treasures that we're able to lay up for ourselves whether it be um, money in the bank account whether it be things in the home um, really that's part of the the genius of what Jesus has to say to us here and and why it does cut so sharply I think in each of our hearts is because we read this and it's pretty hard to get around what the Lord's saying here I mean it, it, it's quite straightforward Dennis don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth but I think also we see here and throughout this passage there's a real sense where Jesus is saying um, hey look taste and see and by that I mean this is just kind of the way that things are. Lay up for yourself treasures on earth. See how that goes for you, right? And he alludes to the, the moth and the rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. In other words, they're fragile. They're going to go away. Um, and so in light of that, Jesus says, let me give you a better you know, investing plan um, when it comes to your, your heavenly treasure. So, and I think you're exactly right. It's we're not going to be able to get around what Jesus is saying, although we'd we'd like to try, and I, I I'm sure. sure we would. You know, I mean, I, I think about laying up for yourselves treasures on earth, and I think about my closet at home. I think about yeah. my pantry at home. I think about my garage at home. I think about the number of uh, when when you're driving along the highway or, or in town, you're you're seeing all these uh, storage units, right? I mean, and so. Right. Laying up treasures here on earth is is clearly, clearly something that, that everyone struggles with. And, and we true. don't want to and minimize that. Go ahead, Pastor Tanae. No, well, no, you're exactly right. And I think it's, it's easy for any of us to hear this and to think, well, you know, that's other people. I'm not like one of those really rich folks. And we have to bear in mind whom the Lord is addressing this to originally, right? He's speaking to his disciples who have left their vocations, who have left, you know, left their nets and followed him. He's speaking to, uh, in many cases, the, the peasantry, folks who are marginalized on society. He's not talking to the rich and famous here, okay? He's talking to folks who are already at a, a pretty low rung on the social ladder. 
so we hear that, and we have to recognize, hey, Jesus is not, this is not just for a, a word that's addressed to the folks who are the one percenters, so to speak. This is addressed to every single one of us. And just to your point, it's funny you mentioned the closets. A few years back, um, I was living up in Washington State. We had this incredible windstorm. It was hurricane-like gusts that were coming through our town. And uh, a tree, great big pine tree, 70, 80 feet tall, it broke in half and, and fell in our house. And uh, we were very fortunate. My wife and the kids were in the house. Everybody was okay. And, and the house, other than the roof, was pretty much fine, except for one room. And that was our walk-in closet. And uh, it took it out, and it was an old house, had asbestos and everything. And so our entire wardrobe, all my clothes, everything was just gone in an instant, right? Um, it was I, I had to get rid of it. I couldn't, couldn't use it anymore. And it was interesting how in that moment I realized, wow. I had way more stuff in here than I needed because, you know, you have to go through for the insurance company. Can you kind of itemize everything that you had? And it's almost embarrassing. Like, really? Did I need that many pairs of shoes or, you know, that many pairs of jeans? Or why did I still have that jacket in there? And uh, it was really convicting for me because, as you say, I realized I had been almost on autopilot laying up treasures in a way that uh, I hadn't even recognized until had a tree fall on my house. And uh, that happens sometimes in our lives where we get those kind of wake-up calls and realize, you know what, I have been really um, relying on and leaning on my stuff in a way that's not, it's not healthy, and it, it doesn't um, serve my own faith, faith growth. Yeah, yeah, to, to see that firsthand is, is quite something. So, but then I, I think, so having, having said that, and, and not wanting to take away any from what Jesus says in terms of the dangers of storing up our possessions. And that's just what we default to. That's what the world around us teaches us to do. And so we just, we just do this. At the same time, we have, I think, in the seventh commandment, God gives us possessions. He gives us sure. stuff. And, and right. we don't want to take away the goodness of God's gifts to us in terms of possessions. We don't want to, to repudiate them completely, I don't think, or, or over-spiritualize this I think that right. some of the some of the stuff that the the Lutheran confessions say about monasticism might come into mm. play here that we would sort of over spiritualize this and and think that somehow Jesus is saying material things are inherently bad so how do we how do we take right. Jesus words and let them convict us rightly without losing the goodness of of what God has given yeah that this is really important, and for me, I think the hinge point is gratitude. Gratitude is the pivot on which a proper attitude toward possessions turns. And what I mean by that is when we have a, a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness to God, that means that we are recognizing that, as it says in James chapter 1, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. That nothing that we have comes from our own powers or strength. Think back to in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 8, um, God is speaking to the people through Moses and, and saying, look, you're going to go into this land, and you're going to prosper. It's going to be a bountiful, abundant land for you. You're going to have homes and vineyards, and life is going to be good. But then 
this interesting um, warning and admonition that the Lord says to the people. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. That there's something about possessions that are not inherently bad, but that they can um, be a, a kind of spiritual tryptophan, if you will. <laughs> tryptophan is stuff that's in turkey and wine that kind of cause you to be drowsy, right? Where we can just get a little bit uh, a drowsy and forgetful about the fact that God is the one who has given all of this to us. But when we uh, cultivate that virtue of gratitude, it's a continual reminder to ourselves and a check that nothing that I have belongs to me. See, it all comes from the Lord. And um, when we have that attitude, I mean, look, some of the most generous um, people who have the, the least grip of possessions on their heart that I've seen have been some of the wealthiest um, in my congregations that I've served and friends that I've known. And on the flip side, there can be folks who have very little materially, and yet their hearts are in the thrall of possessions, of stuff. In both cases, what you have is either um, a, a lack of gratitude or an abundance of it, respectively. Um, it's that uh, abundance of gratitude on which it really turns. So when we recognize, again, you think of um, the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, right, um, from uh, in the small catechism, and it's give us this day our daily bread, and it's that great passage, and what does this mean? What is daily bread? And Luther goes on, I don't even have it all memorized. I should, Pastor Apple. I might make my confirmants do it. But, you know, he says, what, is it, what does this mean? It's, it's all of everything from uh, a good God highest rulers and, and good friends to the, the shoes on your feet and the food on your plate. All of that is a gift of God. It comes from his uh, a loving, generous hand. So when we have that kind of attitude, those possessions, we recognize, ah, these are, these are my treasures. I, I'm not going to lay this stuff up. This is temporary. It's passing. Um, and, and so what I want to do instead is to lay up for myself treasures in heaven. I want to get this stuff away for the sake of others. Um, and, and, yes, enjoy it and be grateful for what God has given to me, but not let my heart be there, um, as we'll get to in verse 21 here. So part of uh, part of this not laying up treasures on earth, then I think you said it would be to to give it away. This is in terms of just sort of practical realities of of how do we sure. put this into practice. I mean, you, you've mentioned giving it away. What are some of the ways that we look at our lives, look at what Jesus has said, and and try to you know? I mean, as we said, live under Him in His kingdom. What does it mean to live yeah. under Him in His kingdom without these earthly treasures being laid up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I, I've already mentioned gratitude. So you might think of gratitude as kind of that, um, that inward uh, virtue and attitude that we um, strive through the power of the Spirit to, to develop. And then if we were to think of a, a spiritual discipline or practice that as Christians we do, because this is who we are and this is how we live, it's, it would be giving. And um, that generosity um, takes different forms. At the most fundamental level, it's giving our, our tithes to support our local congregation. So um, there's you know a lot, a lot of talk about that and, and what that looks like. And um, when people say to me, you know, Pastor, do I really need to give 10%? Um, that seems like such an Old Testament thing to do. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. You don't have to give 10%. You can give more. Uh, <laughs> there is that movement from the Old Testament to the New. There's always that, that escalation. Um, but truly, there, that's kind of the, the baseline that God gives to us as this practice 
as a continual reminder, keeping us from forgetting who is the source of all good, to give that to the Lord. And uh, But it doesn't stop there. You know, that's really the, the starting point and the baseline. Um, but to make it a habit and a practice, uh, blessed is the man who deals generously and lends, the Psalms say. Um, so to, to make it a regular practice and habit, to give things away. Um, part of just speaking in kind of brass tacks, how my wife and I, we've, our family, we set aside money each month for what we call kind of discretionary giving. So we just build that into the budget. Look, we know that things are going to come up. We know the needs are going to arise. Um, let's set aside money in our budget for when those things come up so that we don't feel hamstrung when those things happen. And then we're like, ah, I didn't have that set aside. Build it into the budget. Build it into your, your regular um, uh, rhythm of of giving and planning for your finances. I mean, like you say, let's not over spiritualize some of this. It really it's hard to get much more uh, close to our day to day mundane realities than our possessions and our finances. So to think through practically, what does this look like in our life, in our budget? Let's plan for being generous and not just wait for when we happen to have uh, you know the warm fuzzies and we want to give. Hey. That's great, but it's not an either-or kind of thing. Keep that regular spiritual discipline of giving, tithing to your church, making room to, to give over and above that. But then, and then also make yourself available to, um, to give other times as, as the Spirit moves you. So, so there, I mean, I think we've, we've pretty well covered the treasures on earth and not laying up for yourselves that. That's what Jesus says, don't do that. But then he says, positively, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So we've got a few minutes here on this right. side of the break to start digging into. What does Jesus mean with treasures in heaven? Yeah. Well, um, before we get into that, I do want to um, commend to your listeners um, a short little book called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. The subtitle is Unlocking the Secret of Joyful Giving. I'm looking at it right now. And it's one of these just, you know, little uh, books. I don't know, it's less than 100 pages, small pages. You can um, read it in an afternoon. And there's so much just good, practical, biblical wisdom. And what um, Randy Alcorn calls the treasure principle is based on exactly this passage. He's saying, look, we, Jesus is being very pragmatic about this, in a sense. He's saying, you are going to have treasures. Where, where do you want to lay them up? He says, look, you could put them on earth, but you know that it's going to be diminishing returns. You know that it's going to be fragile and vulnerable to the vicissitudes of this life. Why not rather um, lay it up in heaven? This is the, the ultimate investment tip, okay? We're, we're getting some serious insider trading from the Lord here, and it's not going to lock you up in white-collar prison here. Like, this is from, from on high. Jesus is saying, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's going to, there isn't going to be that diminishing returns. It's going to be eternal returns. You're going to be able to benefit and be blessed by this um, for the rest of your life and into the life to come. And so uh, I think it's a, it's a beautiful picture and encouragement for us that Jesus doesn't just say the negative side of it, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but he also gives us this positive, inspiring word, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Look, moth and rust, they're not going to be a, a problem there. You don't have to worry about thieves anymore. So be diligent and um, intentional about already in this life, laying up treasures for the life to come. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24, talking about earthly treasure, heavenly treasure. We're going to take a short break right now, but we will be right back. Please stick around.
I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, host of Thy Strong Word, taking your questions as we go through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter. Let's read together with guest pastors from around the country and the church around the world, taking chapters and verses together in context, every passage fitting together in the Lord Jesus, because He is the Word of God. Let's read together. Thy Strong Word, weekday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Underwritten by Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash careers. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. You can help us continue to get that message out around the globe while there's still time. One way is to become a church or organization of the week. For a gift of just $595, your church will receive 35 30-second announcements during the week of your choice, identifying your church as well as upcoming events and happenings. And your pastor or a representative from your church, they may record those announcements or we can produce them ourselves either way. In addition, your pastor or representative will have the opportunity to be on one of KFUO's programs. It's a wonderful way to expand your mission outreach and to help KFUO radio to do the same. For further information, call me, Mark, at 314-996-1520 or mark.hawkinson at kfuo.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Tuesday, January 28th, as we study Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 with Pastor Ryan Tonetti of Trinity Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Michigan. Pastor Tenetti, prior to the break, we, we were just beginning to talk about treasures in heaven and laying up our treasures there. So what, I mean, I think we, we just naturally went into treasures on earth and we were able to recognize what that, that is. But what's, what is it, what are the treasures in heaven that Jesus is talking about? Well, there's many ways. I don't think that there's one answer to that. Um, we can really survey the scriptures in the New Testament, see some of the um, treasures that um, the the Lord talks about, whether it be um, possessions, whether it be power, and uh, you know, he, he talks about his disciples ruling over um, in the kingdom of heaven. Um, whether it simply be about the pleasures that we'll have, and you're right, in your presence there is. Uh, pleasures forevermore, Psalm 16 says. Um, so when he talks about laying up treasures in heaven, there's a sense in which it's about uh, sacrificing in this life for the sake of, of the life to come, with an eye toward what lay ahead, so that um, in this life I'm going to forego um, every uh, pleasure that I might be able to enjoy by means of my possessions this life, instead blessing others, entrusting that in so doing, to the Father's care and to his heavenly treasury, so to speak. Um, I mean, as Lutherans, we get kind of uncomfortable um, talking in, in this kind of way, and understandably so, because it, it's easy for it to be abused. But we have to be honest that the Scriptures talk this way, and while it can be abused, that doesn't mean that there isn't a, a truth to it. You think, for example, of um, 
in the book of Revelation, there's uh, – I mean, whenever we get into the book of Revelation, you know, just that standard caveat, we've always got to um, stay uh, careful that we're, we don't try to be too technical in, in every little image. But um, it says, uh, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on, for their arrest with him and their deeds follow them. And there's this um, idea there that, hey, the, the good works that you have done here, that the Father has prepared in advance for you to do, it's not for nothing. It's not lost or wasted. Again, at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, the beautiful chapter on uh, the resurrection, the upshot of it at the very end of 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul says, Therefore, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not for nothing. Um, and once more, at the end of Revelation, there's this picture of, of the glory of the nations being brought in to um, the, the new creation. And there's different um, views on what that might mean. But what it seems to suggest is that the very best of what we have created and, and served and the ways that we have um, lived in the power of the Spirit and under God's reign, it's going to endure into the age to come. It's not going to just burn up and be gone, but that there are treasures that are going to sustain and endure into the age to come. Uh, it's a fascinating picture, and again, it's beyond our um, specific knowing, but this is the promise that the Lord has given to us, is that this life is not just – we're not just killing time until we die or Christ comes again. The life that we lead now in this age, it's meaningful and it may have meaningful ramifications for the life in the age to come. So, I mean, what is, help us to, to draw that line, then, that goes between the two dangers, the danger of just like, over-spiritualizing everything, and, and the yeah. danger, then, of, of maybe, I guess, maybe moralizing, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but, but of making this sure. just about doing the action. Where, where is that line that Jesus is drawing here for us to, to walk? Yeah. So, yeah, on the one hand, um, it's not just that, that over-spiritualizing of, hey, this life, it, it doesn't matter, and um, heaven is my home, and so I'm just going to, um, you know, all of those stereotypes about Christians, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good, on the, on the one hand. And then on the other hand, there's a kind of, of Christianity um, and I mean, I'm, I'm just going to set aside just kind of rank acquisitiveness that you can see in the world. I mean, we know that that's bad, but even within Christianity, there can be those um, forms of the faith that seem to be preoccupied with accruing possessions and, um, you know, seeking out those gifts in this, in this life. Um, or even having a kind of mercenary mindset, by which I mean, you know, looking at, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to seek my rewards in heaven, I'm going to get my crown, whereas though everything that we were doing was just for the sake of those heavenly rewards. As Christians, you say, what, what does that look like to kind of toe the line, or what, what is Jesus telling us here? I mean, I think we live, we live in that tension of recognizing um, yeah, uh, we are pilgrims. We are making our way toward the, the life of the world to come. And so we're not going to cling so tightly. Um, Luther says in the, I think it's in a sermon on um, Luke 21, he says, we have a left-handed half-hold on this world. And I love that phrase. I'm not sure what exactly he had in view there, but it kind of conjures up this image, a left-handed half-hold on this world. And with our right hand, we have it opened to the, the gifts of God and the, the eternal promises of the Lord. 
And so um, it's not that we've completely relinquished this life. We do attend to it. We can't help but um, look at the, the workaday world and the things like keeping budgets and um, providing livelihoods for our families. But in all of that, it's uh, nurturing a sense of this, this left-handed half-hold that, you know what, come what may, I know that my hope and my future is fixed in Christ, that I have this promise that he has lavished on me the riches of his grace, and so that no matter what, um, I, I need not fear. And with that confidence, then, we're able to have a proper attitude of, toward the possessions, being grateful for them always, but recognizing they're not eternal. And so I can freely you have received, Jesus says, freely give. And that's, the, that's, I guess, what we're shooting for, what we aspire to each and every day, and failing continually, but con- continually coming back then to uh, the promise that Christ has given to us that we are his, get back up, strive to live as his faithful again day by day. And then he, he concludes this little section here with, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's the connection between yep. treasure and heart? Yeah, no, I mean, this is where, again, Jesus is just being straightforward here. Um, the idea is that uh, your treasure is evidence of where your, where your heart is at. What are those things that you are most invested in, that you get most excited about? I'm a sports fan. And um, I recognize in myself and in a lot of other sports fans, you can kind of tell when your treasure is in your team and in it uh, um, how how good it does. Because if they when they lose, you know you are just bereft, crestfallen for days. How am I going to go on? Well, guess what? There's going to be another season, and even if they were to win, it wouldn't have made you as happy as you think it would, right? Um, but we we can see this in all different aspects of our lives. And one test for it is when that thing is taken away, how do we react? Of course, our greatest treasures are often our families, our relationships, and we treasure them, and we're a right to treasure them, we re- and our heart is there. Um, and so that's a way to think about, okay, what are those things that I have placed my heart on? What do I treasure? Some are good and um, God-pleasing, others maybe not so much, but ultimately the, w- what an idol is, is just taking a good thing and making of it an ultimate thing, whether it be even our relationships or family, whether it be money and possessions, whether it be sports, um, any number of things. If our heart, the weight of our heart is rested on that, uh, then it's going to become uh, a first commandment issue of now we have made this our God. This is where our treasure is. This is where our heart is. Where our heart ought to be is in Christ and in the the promise of his kingdom. And everything else then flows from that, a right relationship to all the other um, gifts that God has given to us. As Jesus continues, he it seems he changes the image a little bit. And he starts talking about now your eye. And he says your yeah. eye, or the eye is the lamp of the body. So what's the... I mean, what's the picture here? Because I've struggled with this picture in my own mind. What, which way is the light shining or coming from? What, what does this mean, that the eye is the lamp of the body? Yeah, it's a really strange image for us. Um, but it, it helps when we see that it has um, a Semitic Old Testament background. So this is an image um, that was um, typical in um, the, the Hebrew worldview of, of Jesus' day, Hebraic worldview, where the eye, uh, essentially picture your eye as like a lamp. And um, 
it's a lamp that's shining out. Or think of it like a spotlight. Maybe that's more helpful. What are the things that you are spotlighting? And there is just a, a kind of um, intuitive truth to this, that the things that we look at um, regularly are the things that we value. I mean, to take maybe the, the most obvious example in our day and age, Pastor Apple, think of our smartphones. And how much of our day do we have our eyes, the lamp of our body, fixed on those things? How much are we spotlighting it? Conversely, think of a passage like Hebrews 12, which says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. The idea is if we are spotlighting the Lord, the lamp of the body, um, so to speak, that's what we're going to value. That's what we're going to uh, uh, attend to. So this was a, an image that was used, and um, our teacher, Dr. Jeff Gibbs, Gibbs gives a helpful um, paraphrase, or maybe it's not a paraphrase, it's a proper translation of this. He, he translates it this way. He says, if your eye is generous, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is greedy then your whole body will be full of darkness. This is essentially the idea. It's still sticking on this image of possessions, um, but it's through a different metaphor, um, through a different lens, this lens of the lamp of the body. So if you're constantly putting that spotlight on your stuff, on your possessions, so that your um, uh, heart's filled with greed and avarice, then it's going to be unhealthy. It's going to be bad. But if that eye is, is fixed instead on others, and most of all on Christ, on his gifts, then it's going to be healthy. That's kind of the idea. But you're right. It's, it's very foreign to our mentality, our mindset about it's not the typical way that we would talk about possessions or um, greed or generosity. So, again, the, the eye then is the lamp that shines outward. I think spotlight is a helpful way of, of picturing it for us today. And, and you're right. suggesting then that for the eye to be healthy – would be a, a generous eye. So right. looking for opportunities to use your possessions, not for yourself, not to store them up, but for the good of others. And the eye being bad or, or evil would be a, a greedy eye, trying to right. looking out and, and how do I store this up for me? Is that, I mean, that's the general picture. So we're, it's not, he's changed the, the picture, but he's still talking about the same thing. It's still under this theme of possessions and our posture, our attitude toward possessions. But, well, to stick with that posture metaphor, you might think of it like, um, and, and to build on the, the spotlight of the eye, um, you think of it like sometimes we use the phrase navel-gazing, and the idea being that you're just focused on yourself, looking at, at yourself and what you need, what you want. And um, if that's where your spotlight is, if it's just on yourself and on your needs and what, what you're after, then your eye is going to be unhealthy, which is to say um, w within yourself there's going to be um, this spiritual um, curved-inness, as uh, Luther would say, that we are now um, fixated and focused on our, our own things and looking out for number one. There's the, where that greed comes in. But conversely, if the spotlight is pointed out, you have a posture of, of looking outward to Christ and to the neighbor in need, that's where um, now you have that healthy eye of the body, okay, that um, now our, our soul is flooded with the light of recognizing we have much to offer and to give to others rather than just being fixated on our own needs and looking out for our own selfish cares.
I appreciate you bringing up Hebrews 12 earlier, that, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, because I, I think that's going to help us from from making this some sort of, again, monasticism or, or moralizing it just to, only about my outward actions, but that I'm, I'm looking at Jesus first. Um, I, Absolutely. It also, well, it also brought to mind, too, and I'm sorry, just Philippians 2, where, where Paul talks yeah. about humility and having this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to fix your eyes on Jesus and, and in his humiliation and exaltation so that the yeah. importance of the eye looking at Christ is is a key to all of this. I think that helps us hold this together just from becoming sort of uh, going through outward actions. But but it does go back to being the poor in spirit, those are being filled by Christ. Go ahead, Pastor Janae. Well, yeah, well, no, and just to maybe connect the dots even more clearly, fix your eyes on Christ, and then to, to think of Matthew 25, and Jesus um, speaking of uh, attending to the least of these, to the, the, um, those in prison, to the naked, those who are hungry, and to see that when we are serving our neighbor in need, we are serving Christ. And so there's that um, maybe more explicit connection that to look to Jesus, again, maybe we could over-spiritualize that and just say, well, that's just the way, you know, I, I look to Jesus in my worship life or when I'm studying the scriptures. Yes, that's true. But you also see Christ in your neighbor to be on the, the lookout for the Lord in your day-to-day life, to recognize here is one for whom he died. Here is one who is made in the image of God. How can I serve them uh, with, with the possessions, the treasures that God has entrusted to me, whether it be the tangible treasures of, uh, of money or of things, whether it be the more intangible treasures, things like my time and my devotion, my care, my attention. Um, it doesn't have to be a kind of either-or, but recognizing that Christ meets us in the midst of our vocations, of our everyday life, in the, the face and person of our neighbor, and especially our neighbor in need, those least of these. So is there, and maybe this is a, a bit of a stretch, but I, again, I've been thinking about this too contextually and, and talking about the seeing the neighbor in need, the, the good works of love that Christ has given us to do. Is there a connection here with the, the eye being the lamp of the body and Jesus calling his disciples the light of the world previously in the Sermon mm. on the Mount. What do, what do you think? Yeah, right. Um, well, I haven't thought of it quite that way, but I think that we could certainly look at it that way, that you are the light of the world, church. You as the, the body of Christ. And uh, I, I've put you on this earth, Lord is saying, in effect, to shine a light out into the world. It would be, you know, I'm up here in northern Michigan and all on, the, on the coastline here, and up and down the coastline we have lighthouses, right? And it would be a pretty miserable beacon if it just pointed down to itself. What makes the beacon effective, what makes the, the lighthouse helpful is that it's shining out into the world and, uh, you know, so that the, the boats can find their way, they can find safe harbor. And you know, to extrapolate that image, that metaphor, as, as the body of Christ, as the light of the world, those who are shining their lights out, as each one of us are like those individual lighthouses, those personal beacons, um, we are shining the light out so that um, our neighbors, those who don't know Christ, can find safe harbor in and with him. That's the whole idea. It's not to point us uh, to ourselves, as Jesus says, so that they may see your good works and glorify you and say how great you are. No, so they may glorify your Father in heaven. Um, so that's kind of the, the um, rhythm there and the, the flow of that. And I think we can absolutely make that connection. That's a, a great point, that light of the world, that light shining out through the, um, through the body of Christ. So then that, that light then, just to, to finish this text then, that light would shine upon which, which master? 
do you serve? This is where Jesus really brings everything home, draws it together here in yeah. verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Where, How is Jesus drawing these things together here, Pastor Tanay? Yeah. Well, this is really, um, again, another one of these verses here that's just so arresting, particularly in just how straightforward Jesus is here. So he's not mincing any words, but neither does he, he say, hey, you shouldn't serve two masters. It's not good for you. I don't want you to do it. Or um, to, to say, you better not serve two masters, because if you do, it's going to make me really unhappy. I'm going to be jealous. He says, no one can serve two masters. It's simply a straightforward statement of reality, saying this is how things really are. No one can be a slave to two masters. And Jesus' original audience would have been fully cognizant of this. They would have totally understood this, um, that a, a, a servant, a bond servant, would be duty-bound um, to serve his one master all of his time. So you can't be dividing up, okay, I'm going to serve this guy on Tuesdays and Thursdays, this guy Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, we might be offended by that image, but this is very typical if, of that time and place. There's going to be those who are um, serving certain masters, and Jesus just builds on that and says, look, you can't serve um, two masters. You, it's just a, a matter of fact. This is the way that things actually are. If you try to, uh, to do it, it's, it's not going to work for you. And uh, I think when we bring that home to our own hearts, um, it's not a question of will we be serving a master. The question is who or what will we be serving? And, you know, here we're often uh, want to bring in that famous quote from Bob Dylan. Says, you know, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And that's very much what Jesus is saying. You're going to serve a master. Is it going to be a gracious Lord? our Lord Jesus, or is it going to be some um, unrelenting master, one that uh, is never satisfied, whether that be mammon, whether that be our work, whether that be any number of things. Um, so Jesus just sets it straight out for us there. Mm, right. We, we can't come along and say, but we are Americans. We've never been slaves to anyone, right? To, to oh, quote, oof. right? I mean, yeah. We, yeah. we can't say that. We, we have been slaves. And, and so Jesus picks two masters in particular to contrast here. Yeah. He, he singles God out, of course. But then the other one he chooses is money. Sometimes it's translated mammon. Why does he right. single out that? Well, I think the, the simplest explanation is just what uh, Martin Luther says in his explanation to the, the first commandment in the large catechism. He says, look, mammon, this uh, kind of personification of uh, wealth and possessions, he says it's the most common idol on earth. And why would that be? I mean, it, I think with just a moment's reflection, we can think about w why that might be. Because when we have possessions and when we have money, it um, can lure us into that false sense of security, right? Well, so long as I have X number of dollars in my bank account, so long as I'm, I'm taking care of this way, then I know everything else is, is, is going to be all right. There's actually, I don't usually invoke this movie, but in the movie Fight Club, which I can't really commend to your listeners necessarily. But um, there is this uh, kind of poignant moment in the movie where um, the character, I can't remember what the character's name is, but he's played by Ed Norton, and he's talking about all the furniture that he's gotten in, in his house, all the nice couches and, you know, the coffee table and everything. And he's, he's lamenting to the, the Brad Pitt character. He's saying, I thought 
that when I at least got that couch, then I'd be able to say, okay, the couch thing is taken care of. Now I'm going to be able to move on with my life. And there's always this allure of mammon, of possessions, of money to think, well, so long as I've got that thing taken care of, everything else should be all right for me. I think it's a, a, a temptation that is especially native to mammon, to wealth and possessions, to lay up our hearts there, to, to uh, stake our claim on those things and say, that's going to take care of me. Um, but that's why I think Jesus cuts right to that and says, nope, you can't do it, guys. And uh, Bo Geertz, the great Lutheran author from the, the 20th century, he has a line about this. He says, Jesus figures that his audience doesn't solely serve mammon. The problem is that so many people want to serve God and mammon. So Jesus isn't addressing here those who have just totally sold out for the sake of money. And so this, you know, this is the most important thing. This is what I'm pursuing wholeheartedly. Um, really, Jesus is addressing us, those of us whose hearts are divided, who would still, uh, pardon the phrase, hedge our bets when it comes to um, our, our faith and our security and to think, well, okay, yes, I trust in God, but... You know, I want to make sure, just in case the God thing doesn't work out, that I'm still taking care of here, and uh, I'm, I'm going to set aside this, this fund. Look, it's not about um, whether or not we should be good stewards of the finances or, or whether you should have, you know, um, a kind of a, a nest egg. I think those can be good and God-pleasing practices. But it's like, again, where is your heart at? Are you placing it on those things, or are you trusting in Christ wholeheartedly? And, I mean, we have to say, Pastor Apple, none of us does this perfectly on any day. And so it's not the kind of thing where we're ever able to just hang our hat and say we've done it. But every day, getting in that rhythm of repentance and continually um, addressing ourselves and applying ourselves to uh, the calling to live as those who are um, children and servants of the King and to live in that reality. With about three minutes left here on the morning, Pastor Tanay, I think you've done a great job there of, of laying out how mammon and money serve as this this idol and what sort of master that turns out to be, which I think is where Jesus right. is going to take us. So yeah. lay out the positive case now to, to help us close with here about two minutes. What sort of master do we have in the one true God that Jesus would invite us to serve and live under him in his kingdom? Yeah, we have a gracious Lord who has said to you and me, guys, I've got it all taken care of. And, and this is getting ahead to the next section as well, but Jesus is going to say, don't worry, don't be anxious, which is, in effect, a, a permission for us not to worry, for him to say, I've got this. Um, he's not telling us so much that um, having possessions are wrong, although in some cases it may be. More he's saying, look, guys, it's silly for you to lay all this up and not to lay up your treasure in heaven, not to fix your heart on me. There's that uh, beautiful collect. I think it's from the, the season of Easter, you know, collect our, our prayers of the, of the day, um, where it says, Grant, Lord, that we may love what you have commanded and desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joys are found. And that's really the, the promise that Jesus has given to us here, is true joys are found in him. 
resting in him and trusting ourselves to, to his care. As much as we might think that contentment and satisfaction is going to come through the accrual of more possessions of building up our mammon portfolio, true joys are found by resting in Christ, letting go of the things of this world, and knowing that he has better things as our gracious Lord who provides for our every need. Pastor Ryan Sinetti is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Michigan, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Pastor Tinetti, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Pastor Apple. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The treasures of this life are one day gone. No matter how, how much they promise us, they always let us down. Moth destroys. Thieves take them away. Those treasures don't last. Jesus offers us something better, heavenly treasure, treasure that is, that is found in him and in him alone in what he has done for us through his death and his resurrection. And that sets us free to serve the one true God rather than to become a, a slave of money and mammon, always wanting more but never being satisfied. Jesus invites us to be slaves of God, to, to serve him only free to, to be generous with those around us, to serve the people in need, to give freely to the work of the church, to give freely to those who, who do not have and yet are in need. This is the life that Christ has given us under him in his kingdom, living in repentance and faith and in love toward our neighbors. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.